Okay, we're still at FanX. Hi. This Welcome is how we start FanX. podcasts. Isn't that great? Sometimes we will say, okay, I've got a title, and then we will start that way. Do we have a title? Well, I just said rancid underbelly. Can we use that? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> All right. Watch the B-roll for that. <laughs> no, don't. It was, it was terrible even. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're still at Vanex. Thank you guys who came Speak, out to see us. Speaking of B-roll, can that be your new nickname? Ooh. Oh, wow. That's totally my hip-hop name. Yes. Oh, man. That's a great hip-hop name. Intentionally Blink featuring B-roll and... Who am I? You're the egregious colon. <laughs> B-roll and the egregious colon. This is our nickname for him in college, one of many, because he, uh, he didn't know what a colon was. The no, I knew what it was. Mark. I just overused them. Yes. Egregiously. <laughs> and so, actually, he basically probably only did like twice that there was a colon or whatever. But you know how things oh, become no. memes. They, they were all oh, over. Okay. I would put M dashes and colons and my sentences were structurally impossible so we we nicknamed him the egregious colon so no longer are we ice cold and lukewarm we are now b-roll and the b-roll and the egregious colon oh man i find that way too amusing um <laughs> we need to move to another topic before i keep embarrassing myself uh dan you have another food heist food heist you i do have another it. food heist okay this is actually one that you sent me from reddit Yep. Which means, is it Can, one that somebody... Yeah, I pasted the username at the top of that. Um, oh, in the email? So, yeah, in the email. So you can shout out the... Uh, Bandicoot81. Bandicoot. Hey, Bandicoot81, thanks for sending this in. So this is an amazing food heist, actually, if I can find it. Thieves stole 25,000 pounds, meaning the dollar, not the weight, of mouthwash and gum in Lincolnshire, England. And my first thought was, I mean, back to another Mark Rosewater reference, is gum food? Yes, is gum food. To what? which my answer is, I don't care. <laughs> what did Mark actually say on that? Well, his answer was the kind of gleeful imp of, I will never give an answer. The argument okay. is more interesting to me, okay. uh, which is why I don't care. There's a magic card that is tougher if you're eating while you play it. And so someone asked him to rule on if gum was food. Yeah, if you have food in your mouth while you play the card, it like is stronger yeah. or something. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it's two men come in a truck and they uh, use an angle grinder to get through and then they sneak in and they steal 25,000 pounds worth of gum and mouthwash, which I love. And here's the best detail. Of the two men visible on the footage, he said one wearing a high-vis waistcoat appears not to be able to use his right arm. And I don't know why I love it. It's just nice little character detail. We right, usually don't right. get that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. The this, this story has a little extra. Yeah, little, just a little bit of mystery there inside of your mystery. They stole gum and mouthwash. Gum and mouthwash. One of our helpful audience members pointed out that what my roommate Tom was doing in our last episode, if you recall from that brilliant side story that I told to a side story um, <laughs> that he went around campus using our cards to empty vending machines asked is that a food heist does it count as a food heist if you're paying for it it is certainly a wild misallocation of those funds yes <laughs> and if we were you know closer than 20 years removed from leaving that university they might be upset with us but I don't know I think it counts. Somewhere there's an because accountant who's like, that explains everything. Here's the thing. 
the plan was put in place. He came to us with a plan. It required a team. All we had to do as that team was give him our cards. Yeah. Arguably, that was like identity theft or identity borrowing, right? Because that was there to sustain us, but we were gone. I don't think it would have been technically illegal, but I'm still going to call it a heist. A heist. It's, it's a heist. It's just a legal heist. It's the best kind. <laughs> so we're going to talk about on this episode alternate dimensions based off of my last Branching episode. Branching points. Branching points. So you guys have all probably read or seen those stories where, like, there's that one where the guy's like, if I had hit that baseball and won the baseball game, my whole life would be different. And so, like, an angel and or dimensional traveler shows up and is like, let's show you what your life would be like if you'd hit that baseball. And then his life sucks. He's like, oh, I want to go back to being the loser that I was because yeah. at least I was loved, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right, that, that, that sort of thing. He and says that in a mocking voice, and yet... That is the movie. That is the whole movie. And the best one of these is Run, Lola, Run. If you've never seen that, that's a good alternate dimension. What would happen if, and you see three different versions of it. It's great. I thought it would be cool to talk about branching points in our lives where things could have turned out very differently for us if some little thing had happened in our lives. And I'll start because you didn't do any homework and you told me you're coming up with these on the fly. (laughs) Well, he told me this idea two hours ago and I've been in panels the entire time. You don't talk on the whole panel. You don't have to pay attention to what the other people say. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) You start yammering about something and I'll come up with an idea. I that one, didn't I? All right, first one. I'm gonna DoorDash something. Anybody want anything? (laughs) Yeah, actually. (laughs) All right, so I became a writer late or a reader late, right? I've told this story a billion times. I won't bore you all with it. My first branching path is I have a bad English teacher instead of a good one when I'm in eighth grade. And instead of doing what she did, which is like, I can see you're not reading on grade level. I can see you're not engaging with the stuff we're doing. We're going to do a special project where you pick a book from my rack and then we just talk about it after you read it as your book report, right? Instead, you have a teacher's like, no, you must continue what we're doing. You must finish Ethan Fromm and you must write an essay on that for your book report, Brandon. So instead of letting me pick a book and then have a chance to fall in love with it, I am another brick in the wall and I am forced to continue reading books about historical figures who have depressing lives and or young boys with pet dogs who die. And of course the one in your example is Ethan Frome. Yeah. Which I'm not gonna come right out and say it's the worst book ever written because that's my Antonia. But Ethan Frome is close, my word. Yeah, I had to read Ethan Frome. That's one that stands out to me, right? At least like Death of a Salesman, I got it. Like Death of a Salesman, the point was the depression. Right. The point was, look how terrible this person's life was and how it destroyed them and their family. I can get behind that. Right. (laughs) Um, As a concept, in fact. But some of these join my new business like Madame Bovary, which I understand is the classic antihero novel. I still had to read that in high school. And it it just. Yeah. So Um, where would you be then if you had not had that experience to fall in love with reading in school? I think I'm a computer programmer. I think at that same time in my life, computers and computer programming are becoming a thing. Computer club started at school. I had a really good computer teacher and she started us off on programming and she let us do our own thing. Here's, here's my side tangent. This is not going to sound impressive to you, <laughs> but it really was. 
because this was Windows, like the original Windows, right? The one that I, I, I think it's technically 3.1, but it's the Windows that like people started using, right? Before that, it had all been DOS or it had been Macs, really it had been the, the Apples and things like this. So in this class, nobody knew what Windows was. And I figured out how to change the screensaver. I hacked it by following the instructions, but nobody knew where the instructions were, right? And I hacked mine so that in big giant letters on the computer, it would scroll by, Brandon is awesome, right? And I picked the biggest font I could, and I called over my teacher, feeling very proud of myself for hacking her thing, because she put up cool, you know, screensavers and whatnot, and I changed it. And then I said, watch this. And I hit the button and the letters bra <laughs> appeared on the screen. I kid you not. And she's like, oh, good. You finally are noticing the opposite sex, Brandon. Good. Uh, she was a really great teacher. Um, and she, she got there. I'm like, no, wait, 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 wait. It scrolls. It's like bra scrolling. Bran. Yes. Very healthy. Uh, <laughs> so I took a computer class in high school. I was very excited because I wanted to make video games. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is going to be the greatest thing. I'm going to become a video game person. And so they got an, a new teacher. And uh, like from one of the original IBM guys moved in to the school district and they tapped him because he had a kid my age. And they're like, would you like to come in and teach like just one class? And I'm, I absolutely signed up for it and got in there the first day so excited to make video games. And then he starts teaching us actual programming. And I said, wait, um, this is just math. Uh, where's the fun storytelling? And he said, you're in the wrong industry. And so that's, that's when I left and went into writing instead. See, I enjoyed the programming part. It was problem solving, as I've said, something I really liked. Like the teacher said, they taught us like the rules for just like whatever it was called, Basic? Was it basic? Where it's mm -hmm. like you, the first game you teach is the guessing prologue. game. Did you do prologue with the little turtle? Yes, yes. But the guessing game where it's like you put in a number and then you have to program it so the computer will run through a loop when a new number is put in to say if it's higher or lower, right? Very simple game. But again, I had a really good teacher and she's like, you know, the words you use to say if someone got it right or wrong, I mean, you can just type in whatever you want. And we thought that was the funniest crap ever, right? Like we were like, you know, all, all in line were like, do you type in the number? You'd be like, no, idiot. How could you choose something so low? And that was like the epitome of humor uh, to us in, in like eighth grade, right? It's so like, I was really into all of that. And even in college, when I got to college, I took a computer programming class. Uh, I think it was Pascal. It was Introduction to Object-Oriented Programming just to see, like I, I considered my college degree, I wanted to take a class in everything. By then I knew I wanted to be a writer and it was like, I want to take this class. And I, I think a writer just needs to know a lot of stuff. And I took that class and it's the only class that I realized I can never take another one of because the programming was so similar to writing mm -hmm. that after I would do my programming homework, I'd feel like I'd been writing where when I did my writing homework, I didn't because the writing homework was writing essays, which is completely different than storytelling and is boring and dumb. And I would get done with that and want to go actually tell a story. But programming, I get done and be like, I'm, I've told a story. It's just in, you know, numbers and code. Mm -hmm. So I don't get given Dragon's Bane. I instead um, am a code monkey, like almost all of our friends who aren't writers <laughs> or editors. Okay, so I have an academic one as well. So I said in the last episode, I had a scholarship to BYU, mm -hmm. full ride. The other big scholarship that I was offered in high school was Berkeley. 
because I was convinced for a long time that I was going to be an archaeologist or an anthropologist. Hence the hat. Hence the hat. By the way, everyone who just watches the show normally and never sees me in any other context, I usually have this hat on. This is my professional author uniform hat. I just never wear it when we record the show. Instead, you wear, like, the skin of a polar bear yes. or something? The spotted leopard hide that is my mark of office. He really so... did that for two episodes. <laughs> and it was comfy. So I think that there is an alternate world in which I took this Berkeley scholarship instead and I went and I became an anthropologist or an archaeologist or something. I don't know what I would be doing other than that. I don't right. know what careers there are in that sort of thing. Would you, do you think you would have gravitated toward academia? Did you like staying in college? Would you like getting advanced degrees? Would you enjoy teaching? I think so. Because I do so much teaching now and public speaking and stuff, I think it would have been very easy to fall into that. However, during the, the brief period, because even at BYU, my first year, I was an anthropology, archaeology double major. And I loved all the on-site stuff as well. Mm. And so I could kind of see myself doing that, but I, I genuinely don't know. Yeah, I was a biochemistry major my freshman year, but that was not because I wanted to be a biochemist. It's because my mom convinced me that if you put that on as your major, you will get more scholarships. My mom is a very pragmatic person we've talked about before. She's like, if you say writer, no, they're not going to give you any scholarships. No one's going to pay for you to go to school. And then the problem is when you put biochemist on your application, I did get scholarships, which I then lost, but I did get scholarships, but they put you in the biochemistry classes. What? Who knew, right? Doesn't make any sense. She really wanted a doctor, and I was good in my science classes in high school, um, but no one warns you. Science in high school is all about the teacher keeping you entertained. Like, that is half of high school. Like, can we entertain these kids mm -hmm. in a way that makes learning engaging? And so things blow up. Crystals get made. Balloons are filled with helium and explode, or hydrogen and explode, right? Like, all sorts of fun things happen in science classes. And then you get to college and they're like, welcome to math number two, right? You've had, your, you've had first math. What about second math, um, right? And chemistry classes are like, we're going to figure out how many moles of whatever are in this. And oh, man. And they, they wisely, this is another wise thing. When I was a kid, I didn't understand why these classes were so hard. They wanted all the kids who would put biochemistry because of their mothers to understand what it was like to actually be a biochemist. And they wanted you to understand up front. And they were so smart because I took those classes and I'm like, you know how I said last episode, then like, that is, a, that is what happened to me freshman year. And those classes were a big part of what caused that. Yeah. So. This is also the year where uh, I finally got fed up with stupid essay writing, and I turned in my final in my English class as a detective novel. <laughs> well, not a novel. It was, but it was like eight thousand words. So it was, it was, it was like novelette, right? Ages or something like that. It was someone hunting. They'd given me an assignment that was something super boring, right? And so there was the person hunting this. I turned it into a thing where it was like, you know, if you find the secret to, you know, race relations on BYU's campus or something, you solve the mystery. It was. <laughs> That was the only way that I could write that essay. I was so done. I had to do a research paper in one of my English classes for Persuasion by Jane Austen. And I did it as a multi-dimension thing. Oh, cool. Like I broke down the structure of it into, this is the actual plot. This is what's happening. And all the Regency stuff is just a skin thrown on top. 
And so the whole paper was like, what if it was in outer space instead? What if it was a fantasy novel instead? And I don't know what my teacher thought when yeah. she saw that. It's like 50 pages of Dan rewriting persuasion fan fiction seven different times. <laughs> I'm sure we're not the only ones. I'm sure these poor, because this was the honors English class, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm sure the honors English teacher is used to kids just having unbridled imagination and also no concept of how to actually fulfill an assignment. Um, <laughs> and so I, that teacher was also a very good teacher. And yeah, anyway, let's do another alternate dimension. Alternate dimension, alternate what have dimension. you got for okay. an alternate dimension? Uh, I still I remember you, Bryce. Do you have a thing? I have an alternate dimension. You have an alternate dimension? That's a, come on up, it's still come on up. alternate dimension. But you have to speak directly into Brandon's sternum? Yep, I'm actually gonna give you, I'm gonna give you my lapel mics, so. Come sit in the middle here. Hey, this is a good time for me to ask Dan the audio man. Does my sound stupid because the mics fell off and I had to re-clip them on? Okay, good. On your... mm -hmm. I did both. This is weird. This 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 ain't no rinky dink operation. Where do I do okay. it? Is that yours? Well, these are both so They're um, both yours. One's one's a backup. Oh, in case it goes right. Down. Okay. Right. I guess we'll just. But now you're each talking into a different I'll wear one. The other. And, and we're Dan, making the life audio man so hard out. for Dan. Ha ha, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> You'll still splice it in. He'll make it work. He's he's really smart. He has he has a real profession. See, now from an audio perspective, this conversation is taking place in two separate dimensions. Yeah, it is. Bryce, what's your alternate okay. dimension? Oh, by the way, this is our good friend Bryce. I was in a writing group for years with Bryce until he moved away to get a real job and then have a fake job on the side as well because you publish under Bryce Moore, right? Yes. Um, and your newest book is called? Perfect Place to Die. Awesome. It's a cool serial killer historical and you should all read it. Fantastic writer, fantastic librarian, good friend. Thank you very much. So my alternate history was actually... Uh, Right when I got back from my mission, I took a class from Dave Wolverton that you guys were both in. Were you in that class the I same in, time we were? I thought I was. You, I, you always tell me this, and I always say the same thing. Weren't you in the year after? And you're like, no, no I, I was in that year because you remember us being dumb. No. <laughs> <laughs> what I remember is you wearing fedoras. Yes, that's what I meant by being dumb. He well, you know. <laughs> but I, so I was sitting in the middle of the class, and then I remember it must have been Dan. I mean, come in with a fedora, and I was like, well, that, that's not someone I'm going to talk to. <laughs> so here's, I wore one too that year. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, there were two of there you. There were I two thought, of okay, us. Okay, see, and proof that I was in it. This is when fedoras were not yet an internet meme, but they should have been. The internet just didn't exist yeah. to meme us. Now, Dan wears it well. I wore it in the dumb way. So it was probably me. All I know is that because you were wearing fedoras, I did not want anything to do with you. You're smart. You're so later nice. on in life, did you have a moment where you were like, okay, I want to take this writing seriously. I need to find some people. Oh, damn it. It's the fedora guy. <laughs> well, number one, I became friends with Brandon before you because I don't know. And you also don't normally have a fedora on. That's I mean, true. You know, it's, so. it's author uniform. But yeah, and so then I got into writing and I also got into magic and all this other stuff. But it was like six or seven years later. So sometimes I wonder, I mean, if I just hadn't been prejudiced against fedora wears, <laughs> where would I be today, you if, know? See, yeah. that is a much larger question, though, because that one incident would have been different, and you might have made some good friends earlier. But what about all the other fedora wears that you wisely avoided? <laughs> That's true. And if there were an angel that would come down and be like, well, this is what would have happened, Bryce, and, you know, I'm sure I'm probably dead like 15 years ago, so... <laughs> 
That class, that class, I actually almost put that one on my list, but I'm like, I've already done a very writing, you know, related one. Some of mine are writing, but they felt too similar. But that class, like, because we all took it from Dave, Dave Wolverton, and Dan and I formed our writing group in that. And Dan and I basically got published by helping each other through that. So the reason that I thought I was going to be an archaeologist and he thought he was going to be a biochemist or whatever is because the American educational system does not support artists. And so at some point for me, and maybe for Brandon as well, like my dreams of being a writer kind of got beaten out of me. And I thought, well, I have to get a real job and I can do this other stuff on the side. And Dave Wolverton came into that class first day, set his book down on the table and said, you can make a living as an artist and then spent a whole semester kind of teaching writing, but mostly teaching business of authorship. And it was 100% life-changing. Yeah. I mean, that's why it made such a big difference. He had really good writing advice, but it was meeting a real author and having him have the attitude of, you could do this too. And lo and behold, we did, right? Mm -hmm. Like Dan and I did. And there are several others. I mean, Bryce, you have become a professional novelist. It's not your full-time career, but you've published on a professional level. You know, it's ironic though, because so... Dave helped you guys decide, yes, you can do it. And this is no way a slam against Dave, but I got a B plus in the class and Uh, I decided that was proof that I couldn't do it. I mean, I think Ben got an A, so, you know. Uh, know, Yeah. yeah. And he's a programmer now. It was funny because, and like a couple of years later, I actually talked to Dave about it and I was like, yeah, I got a B plus, so I gave up. And he's like, I didn't know what grade to give people. It was my first time doing it. You should have come talk to me. So I should have talked to the Fedora people and actually gone up and grade grubbed, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah. I was intimidated by Dave, but once I went up and said, hey, I have a question. And he's like, oh, good. And he like took me to the office they designed. He's like, I never get to use this office because, and he sat down and he just talked forever about, you know, it was about going to conventions and things like that. He was really there to just try to help us. And Mm -hmm. yeah, being a person who now teaches that same class, I approached the class. I say, you're all going to get A's. The program told me I could give you all A's unless you screw up. And by screwing up, I mean not turning in your assignments, right? Because nowadays there's like two or 300 people who apply and the top 15 get in. And I'm like, you got into the class. You already got an A, right? (laughs) You already, you know, as long as you do your work, I grade it quantitatively, not qualitatively. It's just like a checklist. It's pass fail, basically. Okay. So speaking of Dave Wolverton, I actually have another branching point in alternate history. You ready for for this? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that Dave did is he formed a little like production company and he eventually ended up doing like some movie stuff for Rune Lords and things like that. But he had me and a handful of other people like basically doing story pitches and that he would then take to his Hollywood agent and, and nothing ever really came of them. But one of the ones that I did and Ben was on it and I can't remember who else. There were like three of us. We did a pitch that was called Death's Apprentice. And this was about a year before Dead Like Me came out. Which is an HBO show, I believe, or Showtime. Yeah, I think it was Showtime, but it was, it was Death's Apprentice. It was our show. And I don't actually believe, and I am not claiming, that they found our pitch and stole our idea. I don't think that's true. But because we actually did an episode about this, there's a lot of kind of simultaneous generation of ideas all through Hollywood. But I would love to see an alternate history where my version of that show, instead of Brian, whoever's Brian Fuller's version of that show got made. That would be really interesting. Mm. And then I end up in TV instead of novels. So I have a drug problem. I've got one. (laughs) And I'm poor. 
I've got one very like that. Okay. Bryce, do you want to hang out? Do you want to go back? I, whichever. Yeah, I'll take that sure. back. We'll send you off. Okay. Um, yeah. But everyone go buy A Perfect Place to Die. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Brandon. Do you have a signing to, today? Yeah, tomorrow. I said, uh, like... Uh, tomorrow at the printed paper garden? Two o'clock tomorrow, tomorrow in the vendor hall at printed yeah. garden, whatever it's called. All right. You're going to love this one. I'm excited. So when we were all trying to break in, after we had made connections and we were actually writing on a kind of professional level, I believe, but before we broke in, something happened. Wizards of the Coast had a competition to design a world that they were yes. going to support. Is this the D&D one? This is the D&D one. Yeah. So we turned in so many. The setting <laughs> was Eberron. That they picked, right? So if you're familiar with Eberron, but this was originally a contest and everyone could submit ideas and proposals and they just picked the best one that they liked and made a campaign sending out of it. And everybody submitted a ton of things and I wrote up and did not submit one using Roshar, Stormlight Archive. Oh. Because I did the whole thing, I wrote it up, and I'm like, this just does not work as a campaign setting. I don't feel like it fits D&D. You guys, you submitted like 30. I remember, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, Eric um, Ehlers and I did Yeah, definitely double digits. Because I was writing Way of Kings at that point. So I'd already done all the world building for the Stormlight Archive, and I almost submitted. Now, I don't think I would have gotten chosen, because I don't think it actually would have made a good D&D &D setting in the way they were looking for one. I still yeah. think it would make a great role-playing setting. I think we could mm -hmm. make one. Don't get this as like me saying, I think you will eventually get a Stormlight Archive role-playing game. But I just didn't think it was what they were looking for, and so I did not submit it by the deadline, but I had it ready. So my branching point is I send it in, and they decide to pick it up, and my first publication and indeed the Stormlight Archive becomes a D&D campaign setting. Nice. So there's orcs in it now. No, no, no. Maybe. I guess maybe. That's what they were looking for. Like, mine didn't have yeah. orcs in mm -hmm. it, right? And that's part of why I didn't submit it. Like, the one they picked is a different flavor of D&D, &D, yeah. not a completely wacky new thing with giant craps. So, and, so right? in this alternate version of history, you become a game designer. I become a game designer. You move up to Renton. Yep. Work at D&D &D for... A couple yep. decades. With, like the Eberron guy who eventually just went solo, did some stuff with Wizards yeah, of Coast. Yeah, Keith and, Baker. Yeah. So in this alternate version where your thing got picked, yeah. Keith Baker now is, is a, a yeah. you know, multi-millionaire, super-selling fantasy novelist. Yes. You and switch I am places with him. Writing campaign settings and things like that. Yes. Nice. <laughs> I like this one. Yeah. I've often wondered. Like, that's one I've wondered. I'm like, what would have happened if that would have gotten picked? Stormlight Archive would have, like, I think I may have still written the books, but they would have been deeply D&D influenced instead. Maybe I yeah. wouldn't have even written the books. Well, maybe I would have been like, Wizards owns this IP, right? Like, maybe I wouldn't have committed to it. It knocks a huge pillar out of the Cosmere. Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting because, you know, like, if you imagine all the Stormlight books coming out, but like as, you know, right for hire stuff yeah. for yeah, IP not owned by, by Wizards of the mm -hmm. Coast. And they're yeah. all 70,000 words. Yep, they're one-fourth the size. Mass markets. Mm-hmm. That would be great. I would love to see that. All right, do you want me to do another one, or do you have another one? Well, I'll just say I several different times have applied for work at Wizards of the Coast, and on three different occasions have tried to write for them, 
And every time they're like, okay, this is great, we're going to do a thing. I was going to write a magic novel one time. They were going to do one of my novels. More recently, I wrote this big thing for magic again. And then every time something has stepped in and ruined it. So, like, they brought me in to do some magic novels years ago. I want to say this was 10 or 12 years ago. And I had some really cool pitches that I still think would be great. And then at the last minute, Hasbro pulled their entire publishing thing. They've done that multiple and times. Yeah. So they're like, you know, we were to the point of negotiating a contract. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, we no longer have money for you or for me. I've been fired. <laughs> um, thank yeah. you very much for your ideas, but this will never happen. And yeah. that's happened three times. And, and you finished one of them. You actually wrote yeah, something. Yeah, the most recent one, I don't even know how much I'm allowed to talk about it, but right. I, I wrote an Elspeth story to kick off the brand new arc with the brand new Ravnica set, or no, Theros set, when that came mm -hmm. out. And it, it remains unpublished for some other separate things behind the scenes. It's really good. I want you all to read it sometime. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of heartbreaking because I can't say 100%. But I can say with 90% certainty, what keeps happening is suits at Hasbro look at what books actually make. And then they're like, wait a minute, why are we doing this? Because books are extremely low margin business, fraught with problems and things like this. And, you know, it's like paperbacks sell for like 10 bucks and they make very little off of them. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure they get someone who like really likes storytelling and understands that, you know, building the lore of the worlds is really good for the games. And, you know, some really cool things have come from this. Like storytelling for these big companies is R&D, right? I'm sure yeah. they're happy they have Drizzt. But <laughs> Drizzt can only exist if they're doing R&D and seeing what takes off. And so you get people with foresight who like build up the program, then that person is happens in the executive sort of stuff, moves on to another job. Someone comes in, looks at it and says, well, why are we publishing anything other than Drizzt? And yeah. then cancels the rest of the entire line. And this just happens all the time. It happens in publishing, big publishing houses. You know, a new executive comes in and says, why are we publishing anyone other than the bestsellers? Why, and why do we like, have where do you think list? the bestsellers come from? Right? Like, you know, I am the best selling author at Tor. Elantros was not the best selling book that mm -hmm. Tor published that year. It was solidly bottom of the mid list, right? Like, but people without foresight come in and they're like, oh, get yeah. rid of our R&D team and we'll just keep selling the product that we have and... Well, and it's not just R&D. The, the really brilliant thing somebody did at Wizards, I wanna say two or three years ago, is they stepped in and said, hey, this promotional budget, this ad budget, yeah. we could buy authors so much more cheaply than we can buy any of this other stuff. And so they started using the ad budget to just pay authors to write really good fiction. And they had some phenomenal fiction come out from big name real authors, and it was all just part of the promotion stuff, and it was fantastic promotion until such time as some executive Someone is like, it. wait, this isn't promotion, this is publishing, and publishing is dumb, we're not gonna do it. Well, what they actually do is like, we're gonna do a novel now, and it has to make money, and if it doesn't make money, we pull the plug on everything, and then all the stress goes on making that novel work, and guess what, it's really hard to work on novels that tie into magic products because they start the product five years earlier, brainstorm their story, and are changing it all the way along. It's why movie novelizations are so hard, is because up until 
the final cut of the movie, not just filming until the edit is done. They don't know what the story is going to be, right? And it's even worse in Magic. Like, they're redesigning the cards, taking out cards, adding characters, taking mm -hmm. away characters, and they're like, you know. So either the novelist has to be able to do it in two months and have a print book out, or they start early and then have to revise it, or they just have it not in continuity. This Elspeth story that I wrote, that was the final pass was, okay, everything's good, we're happy with it, let's make sure that it still matches the set. And so the editor and I had to go through the set and make sure like that they hadn't changed a creature type for game balance purposes, and now suddenly one of my characters was a merman or something. And I love working with them, and, and it's really great. I'm, I don't want to bash Wizards, I kind of want to bash Hasbro, but Wizards is, is wonderful, so. All right, you're gonna love this one. Okay. All right? Middle, I, I, I have to, I'd have to go look at what the year was. I wanna say late 2000s, early 2010s. Okay. I got a DM on Twitter from Notch. Notch? Who made Minecraft. Oh. And he said, hey, we're gonna add a splash screen to the end of Minecraft after you kill this dragon thing. Do you wanna write that? And I said, <laughs> honestly, Notch, I haven't played your game. I know it's really big on Reddit. I haven't ever played it. So it would have been like one day of work and I could have added something to Minecraft, which they may have paid me, but I don't know. Minecraft yeah. was not the, the thing then that it is now. Mm -hmm. um, it was just like, he's like, hey, you know, you write fantasy. Everyone suggested that you'd be a good person. Do you want to write this thing? And I think it was Notch. It might have actually been like a marketing person or something like yeah. that, right? I, it's a better story if it's Notch, so pretend it is. It's totally um, Notch. Everyone. I mean, Notch was, he, he's a little too active on social media. Um, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. But, you know, Minecraft was exploding on Reddit at the time, right? Mm -hmm. And I had just not gotten into it. Now I am a father of three children, which I wasn't at that point, or if it was, they were too little, who, like all of their generation, Minecraft is like the primary cultural touchstone by which they will remember their childhoods. Mm -hmm. It would have been nice to be able to point and say, hey, that thing you get when you kill the Ender Dragon or whatever, that little, it just pops up. I've, I've seen and read what they came up with. It's like two paragraphs, but whatever, you know? And I could say, your dad wrote that. I would have had so much cred with my kids. It would have been, it would have been, people would be having me like sign pictures of their Minecraft runs and things like that. Like if I could go back and change one little thing I've done, I'd be like, yeah, I'll play your game and then I'll write your little thing. Do you ever get that with Fortnite? No, because Fortnite has got a really interesting one because Donald's the director of Fortnite's a good friend of mine. And I was hanging out with him when he's like, I think we're going to change Fortnite to do the PUBG model, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think we're going to go for a battle royale. And I'm like, sounds great. You know, I didn't influence him, but I was there when he was doing all of that stuff and things. But like... I never wanted to write, and I still haven't, like, you know, like, that wasn't an intersection between us. I worked on Infinity Blade, their previous game, and mm -hmm. that was a lot of fun. The story of Fortnite is the story of the island. It's not a story told in prose. It's told in the changing geography. It's a very different type of storytelling. It's the type of storytelling Donald's really good at. So I've never had any sort of Fortnite regrets, right? I, I thought it was fun when he told me about what he's going to do, and I was just like, yeah, that sounds cool. It was at the water park, actually, when we were at Seven Peaks. That's awesome. Uh, they rent out Seven Peaks where they used to every year. And so then they would invite people. And so we were hanging out, drinking Slurpees while our kids, like, didn't eat their fries when they claimed they were going to and were going down water slides. And was... Anyway, um, this is why Kelsier's in Fortnite, if you're wondering. You, you've heard us talk about this before, probably. But it's just like, eh, hey, you know, your friend makes Fortnite. He's like, eh, hey, I like Kelsier. You want to put him in Fortnite? I'm like, ah, sure. Uh, yeah. 
That's funny. Yes. But my kids are all would say they play Fortnite, but they don't really because it's too hard for them. Mm -hmm. uh, it just has such a steep learning curve. So, so in this alternate universe where you said yes and you wrote that thing, mm -hmm. is it mostly just the same as ours except your yeah. kids think you're cool? Except my kids think I'm cooler. Yeah. Okay. And all the people who know Brandon Sanderson have a little cool factoid of trivia. You know, like the one about Aragorn breaking his toe that everybody tells everybody else because they heard it on the DVD commentary. They all have a thing to be like, when someone discovers my books, they could be like, you know, Brandon wrote that thing at the end of, because the they weren't going to, I wouldn't have asked them to attribute it, yeah. right? They don't have an attribution on there. They didn't need, you know, um, I mean, it's <laughs> congratulations. Nervous. You have beaten yeah. this game. Right. Love uh, Brandon Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, all my fans would have a little trivia factoid. Like the Ken Jennings one, right? Like the, that's people's favorite. Like Brandon's roommate in college was Ken Jennings. Was Ken Jennings. Um, now you could be like, Brandon almost wrote the thing at the end of, not even the now, end. Now all you know. of you live in that alternate dimension yeah. where you have a little dumb fact you can tell all your friends <laughs> and bore them to death with it. Oh man. Make sure that you tell at least 10 people that fact today. <laughs> have you, um, do you know the, the Penny Arcade strip about me? There's several, but. They hate you so much. Do they, they still hate, hate you? They don't hate me, they're nice. They used to. They like to joke about me. Okay. Like the weird world, right? So my babysitter was one of their nieces for all my kids growing up and things like that. Like there's a Penny Arcade that's famous to me. I doubt it's one of their more famous one. This is a web comic, right, about gaming. And it's like the whole gist of it is, uh, one of them gets up and says, are your friends Brandon Sanderson fans and won't leave you alone? <laughs> We're gonna give you a primer on how to pretend you've read Brandon Sanderson so that you can convince your friends to leave you alone and stop telling you to read Brandon yeah. Sanderson. I do remember that because mm -hmm. the, one of the panels has one of the guys like pulling on his collar nervously saying, yeah, yeah I loved the magic system. Yeah, he's like, There's those are some So worlds. many rules. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That reminded me of my fans annoying people with facts about my books, so. <laughs> yeah. It's claim to fame. Penny Arcade made fun of me, right? For a while, that was real street cred. I don't know if it is anymore. PAX is more popular than Penny Arcade is, I think. PAX is the convention that they started. All right, you got another one? Do you want me to do another one? When, what do you want to do? Okay, so when you said this, this is not as interesting, maybe, but I remember one time driving to Mexico soon after I was married when my wife and the other friend in the car were fast asleep and I was trying to pull around a truck and I was just tired enough that I stayed in that lane way too long against the oncoming traffic trying to get around this truck before I pulled back into my lane. I was literally like inches away from just a head-on collision and dying in a giant fiery crash outside of El Paso. And that is a big branching point. That is. Well, yeah. It's a Where would I be in that world? Of a branching point. You'd be up here doing a podcast with the Minecraft guy. I don't know. <laughs> no, I would not. With Keith Baker. <laughs> yeah, Keith Eberron. Baker. There you go. Who would I do a podcast with if it weren't you? I don't know. Not Bryce. He lives in friggin' Maine. Yeah. It would be Bryce if he lived here. Bryce moved to Maine. Like an idiot. <laughs> Bryce, Bryce was not long for Utah. We knew from the beginning that, the, that Bryce would only live near us for a short ephemeral period of time. I'm going to um, say that after I die in a horrible crash in Texas, yeah. that you are too overcome with grief. despair yeah. to continue as an author. 
And so now you're doing a uh, programming podcast with Ben instead. <laughs> oh, man. Ben is just going to love these last episodes. <laughs> we reference Ben. All right. Let's do one last one. Okay, let's and do it's one kind more. of one for both of us because I actually, Ooh. I think you'll have an idea very similar to this. So one branching point I thought of is what if books that I had written that didn't take off did and became the defining part of my career. Mm -hmm. So for instance, for me, it'd be the Alcatraz series. The yeah. Alcatraz series, by metrics in the business, it sold very well because my name's on it, right? But by a metrics of a Brandon Sanderson novel, it is not sold very well. Mm -hmm. And there was a time in my life where Mistborn had a terrible paperback cover. I've talked about this before and was flopping hardcore, right? Launcher sold 10,000 copies in hardcover. Mistborn sold 8,000 in hardcover. Hardcover was good. It was just, it was not a sequel. And people had given me a chance as a newbie author. And on your second book, you just don't have that sort of halo effect. And mm -hmm. so it sold a few copies less. Not a big deal. But then the paperback came out and it just flopped, selling nothing. At the same time, I just sold Alcatraz for a pretty big deal at the time. It was 40000 per book, yeah. which was a big deal because that was the first time like I got a real salary's worth out of a kind of real salary's worth. I mean, once you take out agent fees yeah. and self-employment Just incidentally, stuff. I remember at this time, mm -hmm. we were kind of going back and forth. Yeah. Like he sold first, yeah. and then I sold Serial for Killer for more, mm -hmm. but then he sold... Alcatraz for more. Yeah, but then you got your German. But then I got my German deal, which was the best deal either of us had ever yeah. gotten. And then about two weeks later, he got Wheel of Time. And at that point, yeah. it was, you know, like in Super Mario Brothers, when you jump on the turtle enough times, it runs out of numbers. The number of extra lives you have gained can no longer be expressed in numbers, and it's a triangle. He sold, he has triangle money now. <laughs> so there's no longer a competition between us. But anyway, continue with your tale. Well, I think there's a world where we don't convince Tor to repackage. It's a dark dimension. And Mistborn dies on the vine. They don't even publish the third book because sometimes that happens. And Alcatraz takes off, and I am a middle grade author. And you're now a middle grade. And I can imagine Night of Black or Darkness selling and taking off, or even you know your epic fantasy, the Tivneri book. Maybe. I think the more plausible one for me is actually more recent uh, because I had a trilogy flop. My cyberpunk series, the third Which book, is Active really Memory. Which good, by the way. great, really But it was good. not a good fit for Harper Teen. They didn't really know what to do with it, and it sold very poorly. And the third book is a huge, huge flop that kind of tanked my career, and I could not sell a manuscript for three or four years. One of the books that I have finally managed to sell recently is Ghost Station, which is a just straight historical Cold War spy novel. It's not science fiction or fantasy or anything. And... The zero-G stuff and the other stuff that I do has kept me in spec fic as a genre. But I would love to see the alternate version where I just go into historical thrillers or spy novels. I think you'd be really good at it. So oh, well, Thank you. Ghost Station is my least read book by a significant margin. No one's even heard of it. You should all go read it. It's Audible exclusive, and it's amazing. But yeah, if that had taken off instead of zero-G and I was known for thrillers and historicals instead of for the middle grade science fiction, that would be a very interesting, different version of reality. I just realized we haven't named our podcast at all this episode. Hey, Bryce, name our podcast. Uh, Mistborn Llama. Mistborn Llama, the podcast. Hey, Mistborn Llama. Mistborn Llama shirt, you are. Uh, this was our writing group in college, Bryce. You were also mine. wearing a Mistborn Llama shirt yesterday. Hey, 
I bought him like years ago. Listen, man, there's two of us on the show. You don't wear his shirt twice. You wear his shirt and my shirt. There we go. He's got an I'm not a serial killer mask. That's what we like to see. $15, but the peace of mind it gives to everyone else in the elevator is priceless. Thank you, FanX audience. You guys have been awesome. Yeah, you may make noise. That is good. Thank you. No, don't cut it. Don't cut it yet. We have to give her our outro. The, the, the guys are looking. How is that, Ben? <laughs> I think the, the true ideal name for our podcast is jokes that are only funny to us. <laughs> So you'll get that one eventually. Ben complained we didn't have an outro to us. And so the episode record, it's still a few weeks away. We're like, all right, how's that, Ben? And then we've just been saying it ever since. It's a terrible outro. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs>